It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Game over! Welcome, welcome to Game Over Montreal. It was a game. We'll say that. The Canadians owe uh, Sam Montembeau a couple drinks, I believe, uh, after the first period tonight, holding them in that one. Yeah, the Columbus Blue Jackets are not great. Let's be real. Uh, Neither are the Montreal Canadiens, but Canadians triumphed in this one despite many, many mistakes. Ian Beauvais is here, our most frequent guest from last year, finally makes his triumphant return with a win, a W. And hey, the Canadians have half, no, yes, Half of their regulation wins this season in the last three games? I guess that means they're hot right now. <laughs> How do you feel, Ian? Things are good, man. I think the, you know, for a while the vibes were kind of off on this team. I think, you know, it's funny. They went out to California and they took two of three. And I think fans were still kind of upset with how they did it. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, I mean, they played terrible against San sure. at the very least. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, like the LA game, I was like, LA is just a better team. Like that was yeah. just a that's a team that's built to to grind you and wear you down. This is the kind of game that's more their speed. They should beat Columbus more often than not, which they have recently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people were really down after that LA game. Uh, you know, probably more due to the play recently than the actual game. I, I think uh, it's probably very lucky that the Canadians have only been shut out once so far this season. Uh, but I think LA is outside of maybe Vegas, the team that the Canadians, the current construction of the Canadians match up the worst against in the entire league. I think it's those, those teams that play that high structure game that are big and physical and wear you down and just don't make mistakes. The Canadians really don't have much against those teams right now. It's it's a struggle. So in this one where, they made a lot of mistakes and were able to recover from it. And, you know, I, I'd say even into the second period where they were playing significantly better, uh, the mistakes were still there. Exiting the zone is a chore, but they managed to continue to kind of roll with the punches and didn't get uh, sidetracked by that second uh, Columbus goal where they had already taken control of the game. And, you know, one mistake or I guess a series of mistakes all at the same time uh, leads to a deficit and they fought back and won it. So I guess in a lot of ways, this one, despite it not being like a high tempo game per se was kind of symbolic of this team when it's mostly on its game. Yeah. And I think you're right, especially, you know, the way that they match up with other teams, teams like LA and, and Vegas are so incredibly deep. Like they, you can't hide anybody in those games. So like every every weakness the Canadians have in those kinds of games are magnified because, you know, they are rolling out Pierre-Luc Dubois as a third-line center. Like, there's not many teams in the league who can do that, and there's not a ton of teams in this league who are going to be able to play well against that. Um, the, you know, I think the the Blue Jackets are kind of a, a contemporary for the Canadians as far as the the where their two franchises are at the moment. Um, although I don't think Columbus meant to be as bad as they are. I think they really thought they were going to be better, which is, you know, it's kind of a, I think they're kind of a cautionary tale for how you build a hockey team, right? Like they thought, okay, we've got Fantilli and we just got, uh, we just got Goudreau and then they screwed around and did that whole Babcock thing over the summer. And now they're just kind of like, it seems like a lost year for them. And we're not even at 
December yet. Like I, I kind of feel like that that rebuild has gone off the rails a little bit. Yeah, I think they're a weird team because I think they have a lot of veterans that fit into the same kind of categories that the Canadians currently, right? A lot of good players for the middle of your lineup, but they let's, I mean, I know that he's not scoring at a rapid rate this year so far. Uh, it, coming up, I want to do a deep dive on him, but Cole Caulfield, they don't really have a Cole Caulfield. Sure. Right. And uh, Adam Fantilli will be better than anybody currently on the Canadians. But sure. right now, you know, he's not um, an immediate superstar in the NHL, which is the case for almost every 18 year old who makes the NHL. He's a very, very good player, but not quite there yet. And yeah, I'm just I think the weird thing about the Jackets is it's almost like there's two teams, right? There's their young players and then there's their like close to prime age players and there's a separation and they haven't filled the gap yet. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's a weird team and yeah, a cautionary tale for sure. I feel like Detroit is another cautionary tale Yeah, because Detroit's been rebuilding for how long now? And everyone, I know everyone thinks Steve Eiserman is a genius and he did great work in Tampa Bay, but I look at the Detroit Red Wings and they need the same things as the Montreal Canadiens need. Like maybe you could say that Larkin is a higher, uh, end player than Suzuki right now but he's a little bit older as well yeah is Lucas Raymond a superstar no is Moritz Sider that much beyond like Caden Gooley I don't think so you know like they their top end guys are not that great either so there's a lot of rebuilds across the NHL that aren't hitting the high points yet so I think people need to remember that there is a possibility that this thing doesn't work out, right? Like we, sure. we can see examples right now where things don't work out. So the paranoia that Habs fans have is understandable, but also we can't control it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you, you can look at like half the teams that are rebuilding in the Eastern conference. They've been rebuilding for a decade. Like, yep. Like I look at Ottawa, like we're looking at them. They were supposed, the rebuild was supposed to be over two years ago and they're last in the Eastern conference. Like, it's just not a the, like the rebuilds aren't this you know unless you grab a McDavid or you grab you know someone of that caliber and even those teams aren't great and I know Kent Hughes has been saying he, I think he's just finding people on the street to tell them like they have McDavid and Dreisel and it's not working see like it just seems like every day we get a new quote on those lines um, but like it's I look at I look at the teams in the East like like the Detroit's and like the Buffaloes and they have a much they have a head start. And yet, like, those teams still don't really seem to be figuring it out any better. Detroit, definitely, but I think Detroit is also just kind of, I think they're just scoring more, and that that's going to solve a lot of their problems. Um, like, Debrinkit was a good ad for Detroit, but I don't know that he should be as much of a, a difference maker for a team like that than he has been already. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think the, the thing about Detroit is, like, for how much further along they are on their rebuild, you would think they would be a, a better team overall. And they're like, let's see here. They're 25th in the NHL and overall expected goals for percentage, like two points ahead of Montreal. <laughs> that's, that's just not great. Yeah. And they just added Patrick Kane for some reason, you know, he's coming off yeah. of that, that hip resurfacing surgery that like, nobody ever comes back from particularly well <laughs> so like it's just a i don't know it just seems like a recipe for disaster at least they didn't you know they didn't sign kane for any kind of term it's really just a one year let's see what you have left i think he's i think he's out of gas but we'll we'll have to see how that plays out yeah it, it's a weird one i think that's the weirdest thing about that detroit rebuild is it seems very scattershot but hey you know what we're gonna have uh coming up here I believe as Mark takes over uh, next week, because my parents are in town, they're going to come have an early Christmas with my kids. We're going to have uh, Prashanth, uh, Iyer, Iyer Prashanth, uh, or Prashanth Iyer, sorry, uh, on the show for the Detroit Red Wings game on Saturday, December 2nd. So we'll go de a deep dive into Detroit's rebuild and contrast it with the Canadians' rebuild if you're interested in doing that. Uh, the story of the game tonight, I, I feel like we can talk about it pretty openly. <laughs> it was messy. It was yeah. extremely sloppy, and the biggest thing that you and I kind of chatted about before we started the show was exits and entries. They were not clean. <laughs> they were very messy. I think exits were worse than entries, but man, oh man, 
Uh, I know everyone was all over Caden Gooley tonight. He deserves some of that criticism, absolutely. He was fighting the puck, especially in the first period. But the turnover that resulted in the 2-1 goal for Columbus, as much as Caden Gooley kind of made a panic, just smack the puck out of here, move, watch the forwards on that play. And it, it is pretty consistent right now. It seems like everybody's getting ahead of themselves. They want to score goals. They're feeling the pinch of that shutout loss, maybe. And they're flying the zone way too early. There's very little puck support. And the one time in that period, or the start of it anyway, when they did have puck support down low, it was Uri Slavkovsky with that really nice pass up to uh, Christian Dvorak, who had to fight for it to get in on two-on-one with Cole Caulfield and ended up scoring a goal. So, like, I... I wonder, I don't know where you sit, Ian, but I think they've got to kind of sit these guys down and say, like, listen, we know you want to score goals. You know what's one of the best ways to score goals is uh, support your teammates. Yeah, it's to have the puck when you leave your own zone. Like, it's it's sort of like, um, you know, you, you it, I'll compare it to other sports. Like, in, in football, you'll see, a, you'll see a receiver go out for a catch, and you'll already see in their mind that they're two steps ahead, and they've already got the ball in their mind, and they're running upfield. And then all of a sudden you realize they don't have the ball at all and they've dropped it. Like that's sort of what it feels like is these forwards are springing the zone because they're like, our guys got it. We're fine. We're, we're going to make it. And then those forwards get up to, you know, the they get up to center ice. And they turn around and the puck, they're, they're trying to get the puck back in their own zone. There's a lot of, there was a lot of tough reads with that respect in this game. Like the, um the first Columbus goal, Monaghan is, is in a puck battle on the wall. In, in the Columbus, you know, zone, but it's like just inside the blue line. And Lidstrom sees that and he goes, I'm going to go off for a change. And he gets off, he goes off the ice. And as the second he turns to go off the ice, he loses the puck. So it's yeah. just like, like timing is a big part of all of this. Um, but I think, you know, this team's defense core is not, at, is not good enough at getting the puck out on their own for the forwards to be able to do that. There might come a point, you know, in this team's rebuild where, you know, we've got a lot of defensemen coming who are going to be pretty good at moving the puck out that maybe you can afford to, to you know, leave the zone super early. That's not this team. Like, with yeah, Justin Barron back on defense, you can't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, and hey, Barron had a good night tonight, I think. Yeah. He was one of the guys who didn't really uh, make many bad plays with the puck. I, I don't... was He was one of the ones caught watching on the line A goal, but... Again, he was he in my on mind for Lidstrom. <laughs> right. In, in my mind, I think he was the least guilty of the three defensemen involved in that play. Right. Like Matheson was just full on not paying attention. And then him and Baron both got caught flat footed, which I don't know how you both get caught flat footed, but come on, guys, you gotta pay yeah. a little bit more attention. The the attention to detail in the first period especially was was frankly just not there. There was some good sequences, but a lot of just like, you know, putting the puck around the boards in the offensive zone, you've got possession, but you're not accomplishing much. And then in the D zone, uh, so many, so many turnovers and they, they cleaned it up as the game went on. I will say that they did clean it up, not to an elite level or anything, but mm -hmm. overall much better second and third period for the Montreal Canadians and an earned win in my mind, which you know, when you're playing a bad team, when you're also a rebuilding team, you kind of want to get those wins. You want to show that things are going well for you. And another good game for your Slavkovsky as well. Yeah, that line was interesting because I think I, I think Dvorak frustrates a lot of Canadian fans. And tonight, I think I figured out why he bothers me a little bit, especially when they're in the offensive zone. He makes a lot of hope plays where he's not really looking. He knows that a player's in an area and he just goes, I'm going to throw it in that area. And a lot of times that kills whatever rush they're on, what kills whatever zone zone pressure they're putting on to the point where, you know, on that two on one, he does the smart, simple thing, which is to just shoot the puck. And, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, he fired it right at his chest. Sure. But you know what he didn't do? He didn't fly by the net afterwards. He stuck right in front of the net and knocked the puck over to Cole Caulfield instead yeah. of forcing that pass to Caulfield that both him and Slavkowski have both been guilty of this year, where they're just trying to get the puck to Cole because he's the one who scores. So, like, I feel like if, if Dvorak simplifies his game, that line can can really, um, you know, because I'm starting to see more more chemistry between Caulfield and, and Slavkowski. They're getting the puck to one another a little bit better. 
Um, I think if Dvorak really simplifies his offensive game, that line can really start to go. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there was one play, you're talking about Dvorak making a lot of hope plays, but I think what also frustrates me about him is sometimes he does the right action, but isn't prepared to get the puck. So uh, I know that I don't remember who hit him with the pass, whether it was Slavkovsky or Caulfield, but there was a play in the second period, I want to say, where uh, Dvorak takes a good route. He goes right to the net, but his stick's in the air, and the puck kind of like goes right into his feet, and he's not like they put him in a perfect position to score. Right. So maybe it is a case of just like, hey, put your stick on the ice, go to the net, and things will happen for you. His job in the offensive zone is pretty simple because those two guys as you mentioned, have developed a lot of chemistry. There was that shift that Caulfield and yeah. uh, Slavkovsky had in the thir- third period where they just were on the ice for like two straight minutes, dogging the Gaudreau line. Yeah, That was fantastic, you know? And Dvorak was... I'm not trying to trash him because I do think that he has played well this season, significantly better than last season sure. and the season before. But he wasn't very very involved yeah. <laughs> in that sequence. It he was, was kind of... Yeah, he was very much third wheeling. Like some of the time, he was high in the zone supporting the D, and I was like, "Good job, Dvorak. You you go where is necessary, buddy." Yeah. He wasn't making any bad plays, so I'm, I'm not. No. I'm being mean, but still. I think I and I think I remember that shift you're talking about because I think the next line that came out was the Monahan, Anderson, Armia line. Yes. And the second Anderson got the puck, the, it was going back the other way. Yep. Like I was like, man, I feel I'm start. I feel I just feel bad for the guy at this point. Like everything's going so well, he steps on the ice and it immediately stops going well. Which a lot of that sure is the way that he plays. Fine. There's not a player in the league that has had less luck than Josh Anderson this year. <laughs> like even when he was doing things well, it wasn't working out for him. So when he doesn't play to that, you know one full expected goal zero actual goals kind of effort like it it just kind of kind of just floats there's not really much for him to do out there yeah it is it is frustrating and it's it's sad to see anderson i know that uh uh, i was reading Kay's timeline as the game was going on and she was saying like she doesn't even look when when josh anderson has the puck in shooting position anymore she just closes her eyes because she knows the the result is going to be and it's as sad as it is that is kind of how i'm feeling as well it's like he gets the puck in a good position and i'm like well this isn't going to go anywhere so uh, eventually he'll figure it off but uh well you know or figure it out i don't know what i'm talking about my (laughs) diction is all over the place tonight all right uh, i do want to do a bit of a deep dive on cole caulfield tonight but before i do i got to remind everybody to like the stream because uh, we've got romelli in here commenting that there's over a hundred people watching and only 10 likes so far i can't see the like count but uh smash that like button subscribe to sdpn please share the link for the show hey share it right now on twitter on facebook on threads on blue sky i don't care whichever one your favorite one is instagram tiktok whatever uh it helps us it grows the show and we get more people in here that we get to converse with and take your questions and have an interactive uh fun show talking about your favorite team the montreal canadians everyone who matters favorite team uh sebastian jackson says it sucks when oh, why what does that say when josh anderson uh, gets it gets dealt he's going to go on an 11 game heater yeah i hope so for his sake and whoever trades for him i he's not a terrible goal scorer right like we know this isn't him it's the fact that the goal scoring isn't there combined with everything else that is him that's very frustrating (laughs) yeah all right uh cole caulfield ian how are you feeling about him so far this year the goals haven't been there to the extent that we thought they would be but like it hasn't stopped him from one finding the score sheet and two having an impact on games like he's still i mean is Outside of maybe Nick Suzuki, is there a is there a more impactful Canadians forward than him on a night in night out basis? I I just don't see it. Like I think that he's still him even when him and Suzuki aren't on the same line, which they haven't been for quite some time. Like they are still like he's still one of the most impactful players the Canadians ice on a nightly basis. I'm not worried about the goal scoring. It is what it is. Like goal scoring across the league like even the, the the guys who who do it the best it's still a streaky thing right like even if in a season where you're expecting him to score 50 goals 
that's at least 32 games where he doesn't score. So like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's room for him to have games where the puck doesn't go in. It's fine. Um, and also just across the team, the puck's not going in as much, right? Like it's just sort of, I think it's, I think some of it is just a byproduct of, you know, the, the skill level of the rest of this team. And like luck plays an incredible factor in all of this. The Vancouver Canucks seem to have all the luck in Canada right now. And it doesn't seem like anybody else is allowed to have any. It's like Space Jam. They, they're like the Monstars. They stole <laughs> yeah. everybody's mojo, right? It is It is strange, right? I mean, if you compare Caulfield this year to Caulfield last year, like the most immediate thing that you should notice is that all the differentials are up, right? Despite the lack of goal scoring. Expected goals, four percentages up. Uh, Corsi's up. Unblocked shot attempts up. Shots on goal. Uh, differential is up. Goal differential is up. But the goals have been in a much more low event space, less goals for less goals against. But if you actually go in on the details, what's crazy I find about Cole Caulfield this year is last year I'm trying to get the rates here at evolving hockey. Cause I had it open before, but it closed on me uh, in terms of shots per 60 minutes. He's increased by a shot per 60 minute. He's got two extra shot attempts per 60 minutes happening right now. And he was already like top 10 in the sure. NHL in these categories, expected goals per 60 also up, but what's down is, Oh, and also expected uh, Fenwick shooting percentage. So like your expected conversion on unblocked shots also up this year. However, shooting percentage, this is all before this game. It hasn't been updated yet. Last year, his individual shooting percentage, 16.46%. This year, 7.5%. Uh, his shooting percentage on unblocked shots last year was 11.4%. This year, 5.4%. So if, and those numbers were pretty stable last year and the year before under St. Louis, I do believe his true talent shooting percentage is probably in and around 15 16%. If Caulfield was shooting like that this season, He'd already be at about be at about thirteen or fourteen goals, wow! Which is about double what he's done so far this year. I don't think anybody would be complaining. Now, I do think that this lack of goal scoring that's come at the same time as you know incredibly improved defensive play at uh, tonight's first period where he had three <laughs> turnovers in his own zone, notwithstanding overall, that. ignore that, ignore that. <laughs> Just throw out that evidence. Don't, don't look at that. Don't look yeah, at the man behind don't the Google mirror. Google it. But uh, like overall this season through 22 games, the defensive play is just night and day with last year. He's gone from one of the worst defensive impacts in the league to being at or around average, which is really massive, especially with being, separated from Suzuki for like half the season, right? So I think you look at that and you look at coming off of shoulder surgery and you can say, you know, like maybe the shooting hasn't been as perfect as the year before, even if he's getting the chances, like the execution is not there. But if he's doing the right things, that execution is going to hit. Yeah. And I, I have zero doubt. Like, give me the odds on Caulfield hitting 40 goals this year. I'm still taking it. I'm still taking the over. It's going to happen. Yeah, that regression is going to hit so hard in the most in like the most hilarious way. Like he's going to go on a heater where in like a span of three weeks, he might have 15 goals. Like it's going to be one of those sort of regressions to the mean where, oh, yeah, he's actually one of the better shooting talents in the league. And right now he's a I mean, he's a volume shooter, like he's shooting the puck a ton. Um, He should have a whole lot more. The Canadians power play not being as effective. And I know like the numbers, the raw numbers have looked okay for the Canadians power play this season, but the goals that they score don't feel like traditional power play goals in the sense that they're not like, they're not on like set plays. A lot of them are on the rush, like because like it's the only way they can score is by coming back into the zone when they finally are able to do so. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think there's, there's more to his game right now than scoring, which if you told me that a year ago, I don't know that I would have believed it. Right. And and if his defensive play is average, I think that the like and the scoring picks up to the place that we expect it to. Like that's a that's an outstanding 
that's an outstanding line that you can put on the ice at any given time. We're not expecting him to be so defensively sound he wins a Selkie, right? Like, he just needs to not bleed scoring chances the other way. Um, which he's, you know, again, first period notwithstanding, it, he's been able to do with or without Nick Suzuki, which is, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, Nick Suzuki was kind of saving that that defensive performance. Um, but, I mean, he's playing with Dvorak, who's, yes, I think more defensively responsible than Cole Caulfield is, but Caulfield is making a lot better plays defensively than we were used to. Yeah, I don't know if I would call Dvorak defensively responsible. His his last two years have been pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know he's the center, so maybe he's more positionally responsible, but overall, I've been surprised at how involved in, like, breakouts and, you know, puck battles Caulfield has been. You know what's the weirdest stat with Cole Caulfield? Uh, he has more than doubled his hits per 60 this year. And he did it again tonight where he he saw Johnny Gaudreau coming up and he was like, you know what? You're not going to hit me. I've got the puck and I'm going to knock you down anyway. He's he's taken his moments this year against guys in his size range to like be a bully. And yeah. I kind of love it. Yeah. Two things on that play. One, that was the only time I noticed Johnny Gaudreau that entire game. Like that's a that was a. Like, it's kind of insane the drop-off with him has... Like, it's been night and day from what we saw when he was in Calgary. Um, and two, like, was that the smallest collision in NHL history? It has to be up there. Like, unless, uh, unless like, no, Nathan there Gerby was, hit, uh, hit David Dayarnay. Like, that's the only one I could think of. Who's the kid on Washington that's, like, 150 pounds? Caulfield laid a reverse hit on him earlier this year, and I think oh. that was the smallest hit of the year. Matthew Phillips is that the one that's in Calgary that's the year? one yeah, yeah. yeah he's a tiny guy yep okay so at least we know Caulfield's in on both of them right you gotta love that Caulfield's out there bullying guys his own size that's just hilarious <laughs> so like I know that there's some people worried about Caulfield and, and the lack of goal scoring I know two goals in the last few games here probably eases some of that stress but I gotta tell people that if you're worried about Caulfield, I think you're worried about the wrong things. Uh, I, I know the goal scoring is fun, right? We all want Caulfield to score every game because it's super fun to see him get all happy and excited and, and the team to win games and stuff. But the improvement from his overall game is, is so strong, especially to do it away from Suzuki. And frankly, Suzuki has done the same thing with and without Cole Caulfield this year. His defensive game is back to what we expected uh, two years ago, right? When he was playing not high-end minutes, but like secondary minutes behind Deneau. So as much as this season with Doc out, uh, with all these injuries again, with a lot of players not scoring, it's a little bit depressing and people are still low from not taking Mitchkoff in the summer and you can watch this team every game and be like, why the heck didn't they take the goal scorer? They need goals. The improvement among the most important players on this team in terms of going forward, the improvement of Suzuki, Caulfield, Slavkovsky, Gooley, those are like my big four this year that I'm watching. All four of them have taken huge strides. Uh, don't talk about the first period for Gooley <laughs> tonight yeah. either. But uh, outside of the first period for Gooley and Caulfield, huge, huge strides. And that's what I'm hanging my hat on this year for the Montreal Canadiens in terms of what I'm watching for and what has gone really, really well. Cause I, I look at this team is still really bad defensively, right? Yeah. Uh, you go on like your favorite stat site, whether it's natural stat trick, or if you pay for evolving hockey or, or whatever database, right? If you sort by like expected goals against, and you look at the players names that are among the worst, I would argue that of the bottom, I think it's like seven or eight, none of them are going to be on this team in a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, like, I know Lindstrom statistically had a really good night. I, I saw this. I saw a peak of the scorecard after this, but like most nights, he doesn't really seem like much of an NHL option. Um, and, you know, you talk about the Canadians needing, you know, that people think Canadians need star talent and passing on Michkov. I think they're, they're, their defensive cupboard right now is about as full as it probably should be. Like yes. you've got, you've got Gooley. I don't know what Justin Barron projects to be. Um, I don't know what, what Jonathan Kovacevic projects to be on this team. Jaden Struble has stepped in and I don't think he's looked out of place once. 
Um, there was the one play at the beginning of this game where he pin he made a pinch on a play and they ended up going back the other way on an odd man rush. But like generally he makes a ton of high percentage plays that like I don't know if it's because he's sheltered on that third pairing and I'd like to see more, but like all of those games have been road games. They they can't really hide him that well. Um outside of him though, like we had, still haven't seen Norlinder this year. He's been called up, he hasn't played. Reinbacher's on the way. Lane Hudson's on the way. Like the Canadians blue line looks as fun as it has since since PK was was coming into the league. Like, you know, like that's that's sort of the 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 generational bar we have for for defensemen in this with this franchise. So like I'm not I like you, you talk about those players who aren't gonna be there. I don't know that Matheson's gonna be there. I don't know. I really don't know what they think of him long term. I like I like Matheson, but I think this season kind of exposes why he was traded yeah. right it, he is a player who should probably be a three or four and be really great in that role but in the in the spot that he's in with montreal he gets very very exposed and it's it's not pretty although i think he had a fantastic night tonight i thought he sure. was one of the canadians best players tonight uh but overall this season, it has been a struggle, especially on the defensive side, especially without the puck. Like, he can win individual battles really well. I think he's strong and smart with his stick. But some of the risks that he takes, it's like, man, you got you got to know when you don't need to play 40 chess. Just play some checkers yeah. and simplify it a little bit, and you'll probably be a little bit better off. But I, I understand that with the way this team plays, uh, the way that Marty St. Louis wants them to play, he almost wants them to reach for the best play all the time. And because they're not as talented as their opposition, not as structured as, the, as their op opposition, when that doesn't work, they get shredded and shredded fast. So yeah. I, I do wonder if this current play style will translate to success eventually, but we won't really know until they have at least a medium caliber talent team in out there and i think the defense like you said is, is pretty solid uh i don't think they should be drafting any defensemen going <laughs> yeah. forward they've just got too many guys and too many high-end guys who are looking to break into the nhl very shortly so i i want to see a point where the the forward group is as stacked as the defense group, right? Where you're like, well, how is this guy going to ever make it? Cause he's got a leapfrog 14 guys. That's yeah. what I want to see from the forward group and it to be like talented guys, not, not to besmirch him. Cause I, I do genuinely love this guy, but not like a bunch of Michael Pozzetta's who are clearly sure. NHL caliber, but not high end guys. Yeah. Or like, you know, I love Joshua was as well. The fact mm -hmm. that like the fact that we are already drawing a straight line from him in Laval to him in the top six is a bit of an issue. That right? Like there's no who does he have to leapfrog? Like I think I think they're yeah. doing the right thing by keeping him in Laval. I hope he stays there all year. Maybe he gets a call up, gets his first NHL game, has a cool memory. But like I, I think they're doing the right thing by keeping him down there. At the same time, it's like Who's he have like who's Gignac isn't going to make the team, guys. Like, like there's not really someone keeping him in Laval other than the Canadians artificially saying like, look, just stay there. You shouldn't be up here dealing with the, like the game that they had in LA. It's probably not a good thing to have a Joshua Hua involved in a game like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think the tactic that they're taking with Joshua Hua and, and Sean Farrell and all those young kids who are like new to Laval this year, it, it seems like they don't want to be put in a situation where they're calling up, because I, I saw a few, few people suggest, like, you know, Monaghan's struggling, bring up Joshua Wah. I don't think they want to bring up Joshua Wah and say, fix this situation. They want to bring Joshua Wah up in a situation that's already working and say, hey, run free, young man. Score a goal in the NHL. Have fun. Have have seen every have make sure that you've seen everything that you can see in the American hockey league. So you have the experience of a failure of success of things not going well for you, even when you're playing well and have that ability to draw on those experiences already when you make the NHL. And frankly, it, it is kind of refreshing after the way this organization has been run for the previous, you know, 10, 12 years. So, so that's good. Um, I will transition 
a little bit because I want to go on. I want to get your thoughts on a little bit of a rant to to end the show here. Our last segment before we take questions from our amazing viewers who are in the chat having fun. I see Montreal U- MUFC says we clearly need an experienced assistant coach behind the bench. Stronger tactics must enter the fray now. I don't think now is necessarily necessarily the time, but I'm a hundred percent with you that eventually there's going to be another shoe that drops, and they're going to need a real tactician behind the bench. Like that's, that seems clear to me. How about you? Yeah. I just like Stefan Robida, I think has stepped in and done an admirable job with what the Canadians have put like last, last season. I think we, we often forget that the top six had four rookies in it at the start of the season. And most of them stayed there throughout the year. Like it's the, the team that he was given the defense core that he was given, like they should not have even been anywhere remotely as good as they were last year. And they still weren't even that good. Um, you know, like it's, it is what it is. I, I don't like we, we rant about Alex Burroughs regularly, right? Like, it's just, it's a point where like, you're kind of wondering like, what do you even do here? Like, why are you like, it, you're not the power play coach. You're, you're, you, you know, you draw up the plays in the six on five situations that, almost never work. I think they have like a 2% success rate. Like they just don't work. Um, I don't really know what Trevor Litowski is doing back there. Like It just seems like, it seems like Hughes and Gorton took over and they had Marty St. Louis in mind. And they just like, I think they, obviously they were going to let Ducharme play out the year and then figure out how a way to convince St. Louis to come to Montreal. They didn't really have to do that because he, you know, came in the middle of the year, but they didn't, they didn't want to, you know, completely upset the apple cart and get rid of everybody else behind that bench. I just don't think that we've seen the results that, that justify keeping them. But at the same time, like, is it, is it reasonable right now to can all of them? Like, I don't think that's fair either. Yeah, it is weird because if you were to fire somebody now, you're like, what did we expect them to do? (laughs) Right? Like, are we, are we giving them the personnel to succeed? Are we giving them the mandate to even succeed? You know, like, is Josh Anderson on the power play every time he goes out there because Alex Burrows and Marty St. Louis are like, this guy is the best chance we have to score a goal out there. We're going to throw Josh Anderson out there, and he's going to stand in the middle and just watch. Direct traffic. Uh, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Or is it that they're just desperately trying to get this guy going, and they're very patient with veterans, like we saw with Hoffman last year, with Dodonov before he was traded, it, it seems like they're just trying to get what they have to work and trying to throw everything at the wall to get there. So I, I don't know tactically if it's if it's on the assistant coaches or not, but they do probably need somebody with experience around there just because everybody on that coaching staff is relatively green to coaching. You know, yeah. uh, Marty brings a lot of cool stuff to the table. I, I do think he's going to be the head coach for a very long time. But they probably do need somebody. I saw Jacques Martin was mentioned in the in the chat. I know people get their backs up about Jacques Martin, but somebody like that that who is so smart tactically would be an addition to this team that, that would be really good. But one of the things that's been so frustrating about this team to watch this season has been their complete lack of defense off the rush. I believe they give up more chances off the rush than any team in the league, which is usually a a death knell. For, for teams when they try to be good because that's just killer on goalies, on defensemen, on morale, on everything. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. But I'm going to take a different tact, Ian. I'm going to say the Montreal Canadiens are the only truly honorable team 
in the NHL because zone entry defense is bullshit because offsides are garbage. Offsides are terrible for this league. And I know that some people will say, oh, well, you know, if you didn't have offsides, you have cherry picking. So what? If a team wants to cherry pick, that means they're willing to go down to four men in their own zone. They can take that risk. And the fact is, if defensive structure is using offside to defend, how are we saying that that's a good thing? Because if a team was using the rules of the game to defend, like, say, continually throwing the puck over the glass, well, the NHL made a rule specifically to stop teams doing that. Or icing the puck. Well, the NHL changed the rules so that you can't change now on an icing to stop teams from doing that. So I will say that the Canadians being terrible at defending their own blue line is because they're an honorable team and they don't want to abuse the rules of the game to defend and actually want their players to do the defending and not force offsides. And either they need to get rid of offsides or if a team forces an offside, they can't change their players. This is my hill, and I'm willing to die on it, Ian. Let's go. So you you had me. You had me. That I was <laughs> I was ready to run through a wall until you said, you know, that they, it actually forces them to play defense because then they actually don't do that. Like they forget <laughs> that's that true. That's true. They don't do that either. <laughs> like, but it, I, it it had to fit into the rant. I have to pretend that they're actually good at something. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if they figure that out, you've got me back on. I'll print T-shirts. We'll make it happen. But like. Like when, when, and I hate ripping on the guy because he hasn't played a game in, in a month, but David Savard, that guy loves skating backwards even when he's not supposed to be skating backwards. Like the skating amount of, backwards on zone entries. Yeah, the amount of like space that the Canadians defense give the other team to operate is is bad. Like the it gap is control galling. is is bad. It's just not, it's not at an NHL caliber. Even like the guys who should be better at it are not. So it's, you know... I don't know. I I hate offsides. I hate the offsides challenge. Every time I every the, tonight especially every time a goal was scored, I wondered if it was going to be challenged for offsides because all of those zone entries look so close. Yeah, it it's it's ruined the like the celebration of a goal to me. Like I I can't just joyfully be like oh cool a goal that was awesome. There's always oh there was a goal. Are they going to challenge? Like yeah. th- there's that doesn't happen in other sports, right? Like. When there's a home run in baseball, it's a home run. Like, we just, we celebrate that. The guy jogs around the bases for some reason. It's awesome. Like, you don't see this in any other sport. The NHL just, like, insists that offsides is so incredibly important for some reason. Just in the same way that, like, the linesmen think it's super important for the puck to be dropped exactly right. Even though that possession generally doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's, unless it's in overtime, like the three-on-three overtime face-off shenanigans has been driving me nuts lately these you know uh specialty players that come on for one face-off and then immediately leave the ice it seems to be uh not taking three on three overtime at its at like the spirit of what it's supposed to be but that's an entirely different rant yeah and you know off offside reviews are kind of like a whole different thing but i'm with you in that the nhl in instituting the offside challenge rule like, I don't mind if, like, getting the call right. You know what I mean? Like, people are, this is always the, the argument when an offside challenge happens. Like, well, getting the call right is good. Yeah, it is. But if it's been 30 seconds, I don't care. Right? And, like, if you have an offside, like, I, I think it has to be situational, the way that they're looking at offsides. Because... The Canadians have had several offside calls go against them this year on goals, and it's not about the Canadians or another team, whatever. But, like, if somebody is just a hair ahead, and soccer has this issue, too, with VAR, uh, if somebody's just a hair ahead and it doesn't actually give them an advantage, really, who cares? Are we playing hockey or are we playing synchronized line crossing? Right. Right? And in creating this review system for offside in particular making it so important to the game where like every team has a video crew watching every entry that leads to a goal right to like examine it from every angle see if it can get called off and yet we don't really have that kind of review for like 
a high stick that causes a turnover or a slash of the stick or, you know, a, a trip behind the net that causes a, a two on one in front of the net. Like all these things that are so much more important and immediately impactful on a goal don't have the opportunity of review but offside does like I just don't understand the obsession from the NHL standpoint because at the same time yes you're you're relitigating these offsides and some offsides that weren't called get called how many plays that are onside get called offside by linesmen who don't want to look like they missed it yeah you know it's probably not a huge amount but there are, there are goals every season that are not scored because of an early offside call. And yeah. you can't go back and review and take it back. So in my mind, unless you're going to go to fully off-ice linesmen or like off-ice officials and just one ref on the ice, and you have like a team of officials with a, a, a linesman or a ref on the ice with an earpiece in so that they can go back and forth and say like, hey, this was this. You can go in and, and correct things on the fly. I don't see how this is ever going to be at a point where it's functional. And that's yeah. a huge problem. Yeah. And I mean, like to, to take that, that review concept and turn it into something we saw last night in the, the Maple Leafs game, the, the missed high stick at the end of the game, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs high sticked uh, Florida. They didn't, uh, I think it was the other way, a Florida player high sticked a Toronto player. They didn't call it. They completely missed it. Uh, the player's, you know, holding his face, skating off the ice, he's bleeding. The refs get together and they review it. They say, we are reviewing a double minor for high stick. Well, they never called yep. a double minor for high stick. They didn't call a penalty. Why is it that with high sticking, we've created this entire review scenario when there isn't one for hooking, there isn't one for tripping, there isn't one for goalie interference as a penalty, there is one for goalie interference if the puck happens to go in. Like, it's just so funny that the NHL, like, draws all of these really weird lines. Um, yeah. It was like, like, I remember a few weeks ago, I was, I thought I was losing my mind watching the, the end of that, I think it was the Vegas game, where Gallagher got a penalty for hooking, and then... They the guy called it hooking, and then they skated to center, and they said we're reviewing the pe we're reviewing the play for a penalty. They reviewed it. They said the call on the ice stands a double minor for high sticking. They the, a penalty they did not call, so they just like the NHL just loves making it up. It's just guys being dudes just out there making stuff up. Like I I just don't know like. I hate the slippery slope of like, well, if you, if you, you know, we start doing one challenge, we have to do a whole bunch, but the NHL hasn't gone in that direction, right? Like we don't challenge every penalty, even though I no. think like they miss a lot, right? Like they've completely removed like the, the, the coaches getting just one challenge. Now, like you just get a penalty if the league disagrees with you, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of silly how all of this has unfolded and generally no one is happy with any of it. Like on on average, your team is just as likely to get screwed over by one as they are to be benefited by one, which I guess, you know, is where they say, well, it's fair because everyone's upset or everybody's happy. It doesn't matter. But I just don't see that there's a whole lot of like reason for a lot of this other than Matt Duchesne went 20 feet off sides four years ago. And now we are all paying the consequences for it. Goddamn Matt Duchesne. And I think this is where like. I get frustrated as well with the conversation. It's like, just because something ends up over 82 games or whatever, being relatively fair, doesn't mean it's good. No. Right? Like the officiating system in the NHL is just, it's not good. It, it needs to modernize. You know, we went from one ref to two refs, uh, like 20 years ago, almost now. And, and that was a good decision, but now the game is faster. Players are bigger. The ice isn't getting bigger. There's less space on the ice. You know, you, you saw tonight I, at one point, I think it was Anderson, like tried to wire a puck in on a dump in. And a, a linesman had to like duck at the last duck. minute. I saw that. Like that was, and it was close. It was yeah. close to going right off his ear. And like, I, I respect the amount of work that those guys put in. I don't think we talk enough about the brutal travel schedule of referees and linesmen. It is horrific how many games they have to work how how long they skate they don't take shifts yeah, right so i think developing a system where 
Number one, the rule book is called more closely where rules are far more black and white and less vague because the NHL loves in every possible way to make things as open to interpretation as possible so they can do whatever the hell they want (laughs) when push comes to shove. We got to stop that. Be a serious league. Give the officials some actual off-ice support because either you trust and respect your officials or you don't. I as much as I think that the officiating system is bad, I doubt that the officials working are all bad, right? They have differing opinions, sometimes in the same game, and two different games get officiated by two different refs. But overall, I'm sure that they're like the best at it in the world because they're in the top league. So give them some support, give them some clarity, and let's see what we can work with from there. And also, end offsides, and Montreal Canadiens are the only honorable team. <laughs> Shall we get to some questions from the stream chat? I know uh, one person was saying they, they're upset with me talking about uh, offsides. I've been promoting it for four years. Listen, I have been promoting anti-offside propaganda for much more than four years, and I will never stop. From my cold, dead hands, will you make me stop <laughs> being against offside? All right, uh, let's see if we got some questions here to answer. First of all, let's see. I don't. Okay. Uh, Adam Dreyer says, uh, why not let him get a game for Lindstrom or Kovacevic? This is about uh, Matthias Norlander. I'm surprised he hasn't gotten the call to come in yet, honestly. I, I thought that he would in the California trip, but I mean, it's not. I know Lindstrom scored tonight in Empty Netter, but uh, it's not like he's playing that well. He had an RA1 oh. tonight, but I, I believe his expected goals for differential heading into tonight was like 30%. Yeah, so, I mean, try it it's out. Like they they have a back to back. They're playing them again tomorrow night. It seems like a perfect opportunity to say, "Hey, Lidstrom, sit this one out. We want to get Norlander in, right?" Like it just seems like it could work. Although coaches hate changing winning lineups, so who knows? Yeah, Evan B mentions uh, except Tim Peel. He's bad. Yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. Tim Peel, game over Montreal guest of uh, two years ago, probably won't be back. Uh, yeah, can't imagine. We, and I mean, maybe if we had like a kid on that he could yell at, you know, like. You you heard that story, right? Oh yeah, it was brutal. It's unbelievable. And there's yeah. the 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 infighting at at uh at the publication that he has a podcast on is quite funny. <laughs> it's it's incredible content. <laughs> yes, it is fantastic content. Uh, Adam Firebear asks a non-Canadian's question: Is Patrick Liney an elite, great, good, or bad player? I actually love that question because I think you could ask fifty people that and get a pretty even keel of like each per like each one being equally filled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the poll would be relatively even. I think Patrick Laine is a good player who was developed very poorly. Yeah. I mean, he's a shell of himself of what we saw when he was in Winnipeg, when the jets were really good, right? Like, man, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's rough to see what happened, right? Like he just doesn't even look like he's having a good time. It, yeah, it's just tough. Like he seemed like a a real happy go lucky guy when he first broke into the league, and the league has very quickly beaten that out of him. Um, I I generally wonder like how much longer he has in Winnipeg or in uh, Columbus. Like it just doesn't seem like it's been a fit at all. They've been trying to play him at center. Like what yeah, are they it's doing? Weird. It's like it's very very odd. Um, he definitely has. Yeah, I agree with with the development because he hasn't. He hasn't showed up to be what we thought he would be when he was picked second overall. Um, then again, you know, that that draft is all kind of funny after the first pick. You had line A yes. go second. You had Pugliarvi was supposed to go third. And then the Blue Jackets shocked everybody and took Dubois. And then, you know, from there, a whole bunch of other stuff that didn't, you know, that would have happened had Dubois been available didn't unfold. So, yeah, I think he's a good player. I think on a good night on a playoff team, he might even be teetering into great, but probably just good right now. Yeah. Mark uh, chimes in. Patrick Liney is a bad elite player that can be good. That's, that's about as accurate as it gets. Patrick Liney, you know what? The vibes that Patrick Liney give me are like, could have been like Pavel Bure and is closer to Josh Anderson. And that sucks. Yeah. Like that really sucks for him. And for Winnipeg, who drafted him, but like it's kind of on Winnipeg. Like they, there, sh- there could have been such a better player 
than we got for Patrick Line. And he still flashes that skill sometimes, but overall, uh, not even close to what he was supposed to be, which it, yeah. it never, it never feels good when that happens. Let's see here. Um, what else do we got? Evan B asks, does Corey play Corey Perry play another game in the NHL? I'm going to go with no, uh, Obviously, we don't know exactly what happened, but there's more and more details coming out now about uh, perhaps some alcohol being involved in some inappropriate behavior with a team employee. I don't know how bad it had to have been for things to escalate this quickly, uh, considering other actions that have happened in the NHL and teams not moving. But I guess also the Blackhawks have, you know, uh, other events that they have not handled very well in mind, so they wanted to handle this quickly, but it's a really weird situation. I, I know Corey Perry uh, is on the ice, very hated by opposing teams his whole career, by opposing fans his whole career, but watching him in Montreal, I gained so much respect for him as a player, and behind the scenes, he, he just seemed like such a good person. I, you never know, you know, yeah. with these with these guys, and it, again, sucks to be disappointed by, by players that you thought were, were like better people. But yeah, I think this is the end to what probably could have been a hall of fame career. And maybe now might not be depending yeah. on how many details come out. Yeah. He was probably like, he's probably a fringe player. He wouldn't have been a first ballot guy, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, like he's got a, he's got a heart trophy, doesn't he? Or he, he has a rock. Yes. I think. Yeah. Like he, he had the peak of Corey Perry's career was very high um you know it, it's and he sort of reinvented himself in a way where he kind of played more of that bottom six kind of player um he's always had that mindset but you know i think that the blackhawks i think if that first rumor which i won't go into detail of because i think everybody's heard it um i think if that first rumor hadn't gone out we probably wouldn't have heard anything I think the second that it implicated Connor Bedard, their franchise player, and put him in an uncomfortable situation, they kind of had they, to address it. It forced their hand, right? Like I, that's that's just the way that I've, I've looked at it. I think once that that rumor, you know, I won't say game steam because it's obviously not true, and it yeah, obviously and was think, never true. <laughs> I don't think anybody actually believed it because it was no. Hockey Insider. Like everyone was just joking about it, right? And the Blackhawks got super upset about it, but. Yeah, it's a weird situation. That's one of the weirdest things. The NHL has more scandals this year, I think, than I've ever seen in such a short time. It's like every week there's something new. And and half of them the league does to themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And you know, they, like... they sit there, and just like the Blackhawks did at first, it was like, we're not going to comment any further. We're not going to give you any details. And it's like, I'm sorry, guys, but you don't actually have the right to do that. You can't make big decisions as a public company who has consumers and say, well, we're not going to talk about it. Like things are going to be known. There's going to be things known about the Shane Pinto investigation that the NHL doesn't want to talk about. I know like maybe there's NDA side. Frankly, I, I don't give a shit. Like I don't give a shit about an NHL NDA. I feel like the NDA, unless it's protecting a victim of something is one of the most overly abused legal documents in the world. It's like that yeah. in the DMCA. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's and like you said, it's a consumer confidence issue with this Blackhawks franchise, right? Like, the, we it is impossible to digest what is happening now in a vacuum. You can't do it. Like, we've we've and the Blackhawks have lost any right for 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 you know them to tell us we have to just take them at face value here. Yep. Like as has the NHL, frankly, with you know their stupid. Uh, jersey bands and all this stuff and like oh yeah we're gonna have inclusivity and diversity people and then we're like and we're not gonna allow uh marc-andre Fleury to wear yeah. a, a mask designed by a first nations artist which yeah. is like you you let uh, thomas grace walk around with an ss on his mask for like two years so like yeah. are we just gonna pretend that this is how you've always been like it, it's such weird and unexplainable garbage from the NHL. They just want everybody to be quiet and not talk about them anymore. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's almost like they stimulate more conversation by trying to keep their hands out of it. But it's yeah. weird. 
Uh, there was a question here asking how how bad would it have to be to deny uh, a clear Hall of Fame recipe resume? Sorry, not recipe. He's not food uh, for Corey Perry uh, from going into the hall. I would say, uh, obviously, it's not the exact same, but look at Theron Fleury. Uh, Theron Fleury, his NHL career is very clearly Hall of Fame caliber. He'll yeah. never get in. Yeah. It's like Kurt Schilling in baseball, right? Yeah. Like Kurt Schilling, you know, he's probably got a Hall of Fame resume uh, as a pitcher. He won the, the World Series with the Boston Red Sox. He had the bloody sock. It was a really cool thing. He's a he's a, a he's a complete dumbass and a monster yep. of a human being. And it turns out when you have to have human beings vote on these things, they tend to have opinions that sneak in every once in a while. You know, it's like it. It's, it, you know, on the other end of that, it's why a guy like Fleury is probably going to get in. You know, like he's probably a fringe guy. There are probably goalies who had better numbers than him. But one, he was always around the Stanley Cup in his career. And two, he's a real likable dude. People just yeah. like Marc-Andre Fleury. They don't have a bad thing to say about him. Yeah. And, and Trinka says it's not the hockey hall of good guys. Yeah, of course. But it is the hockey hall of were you friends with this guy? Which is why Mark Andre Fleury is probably going to be a, a first ballot Hall of, Flame, Hall of Famer. Everybody loves the guy, yeah. and why Theron Fleury will never get in. Everybody hates him. And uh, Corey Perry, I think before this, was one of the most well respected players in the NHL, like from hockey men circles. Now I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's really tough. Um, yeah. Other than that, <laughs> Trizak and Rumeli are debating. Uh, who scores first, the Canadians' 2024 first overall pick or Josh Anderson? Whoa. I think it's going to be Josh Anderson, guys. I I don't think he's going to go too you don't much think, longer. You don't think he's Scott Gomez is this? And we go even if he goes a full calendar year, we're we're still we're still shy of the draft. So it would yeah. have to be it would have to eclipse that, which was already pretty hilarious. I mean, um, Scott Gomez's shot was so bad. He may as well play with hit him. Like, one yeah. just has to hit Anderson and go in soon, right? Like, it has to hit him in the ass and the puck just goes in. <laughs> you know? I'm, I I hope he does it at home. I hope it happens in Montreal. The pop in that building will be unbelievable. <laughs> I kind of wanted him to do it tonight in Columbus because it's his old team and maybe Same. they would, like, fire off the cannon just for him. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise everybody in the media lounge there and make them crap their pants. But uh, that's it. There's a couple angry Blue Jackets fans in the chat asking, will the... Blue Jackets ever win 50 games again? Uh, there, there was a question earlier from a CBJ number one fan asking why the Columbus Blue Jackets continue to be a turd on the ice or something similar like that. I'm, I'm sorry, man. I know it's, it's been a tough existence for the Blue Jackets. Yeah, they, they had they... that s- stretch under like Torts where they were like this really tough team to play against, and they still have elements of that. But hey, you got Fantilli, you got David Yurichek. Things are going probably to get better. They're probably going to get better. Maybe. I don't know. I don't want to pour salt in this, but that's how I found out the Jackets had ever won 50 games. Was that, have they won 50 games in a season? I don't, I feel like that can't be true. I feel like even the years they made the playoffs, they were a wild card team. But like, that's not, I'm just pouring salt in the wound. That's not fair. Um, Kent Johnson, he's going to be pretty good. Yeah, there's, the guy that keep healthy scratching. Can't I know. Get what Johnson. is that? It's so funny. Like the guy that they, you know, they, they got rid of Babcock and the guy that they replaced does a lot of the same stuff that Mike Babcock would do. Like, you know, it's kind of, you're kind of, I'm kind of wondering what's going on there. I can't imagine that they keep him around after this year, but we'll see. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right, folks. Thankfully the game ended, uh, ahead of schedule today so we got to start this early give you a nice long show with ian but uh i'm gonna go to sleep so uh thanks everyone for tuning in it was a great show against after a a, a decent game somewhat decent game except for the first period as we keep saying but uh i'll be right back talking to you guys everyone uh tomorrow because it's a back-to-back game and then after that it'll be mark for another week while uh my parents are in town visiting the kids and then we'll see how things go. Cause we're going into strikes for my kids elementary school starting next Friday. So thanks stupid CAC.
that's a real name of our political party here in Quebec, by the way. I'm not nice. just saying nice. <laughs> they're refusing to pay teachers and nurses and support staff and giving them raises even at inflation. They offered them a 10% raise over five years, I believe, which is significantly lower than inflation. So yeah, it's, it's good times up here. I'm sure it's good times down south as well. But uh, thanks, Ian, for joining me here. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks to our wonderful fan base that comes in every night and uh, has a great amount of time, a great time in the chat, no matter how long we go. We really appreciate you. Uh, Ian, tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, I'm at maybe it's Ian on most places. Um, subscribe to The Build where you find podcasts. I try to do episodes weekly or biweekly. It's, uh, it's a good time. Yeah, and uh, Romelli says all government employees. Well, not quite all government employees, Romelli. The uh, the CAC government did vote to give themselves a huge raise, and Quebec politicians are now the highest paid in the country, even though Quebec is not, uh, you know, the highest grossing province or anything. So, yes, they they some government employees got raises, just not the sweet ones gig. that actually do work. Yeah, sweet gig. That sounds awesome. Where do, I, where do I sign up? My last name's French. I can make it. <laughs> That's the way to do it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow night.